Reading is just a habit you gotta form in all of life. Books don't change people's sentences. Reading good, solid, reform, Puritan literature, reading especially the classics, that's had the biggest impact on my life. Well, good day and welcome to another Reformers Bookcast. Uh, we're here at Reformers Bookshop in Sydney and we have uh, a guest with us today, David Robertson. Uh, it's great to have you with us, David. Nice to be with you. Thanks for coming by. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like from your accent you've come a long way. I have. I've come all the way from Dundee, Scotland. Very good. Just to come to the Reformers Bookshop. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> we draw a crowd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you're, you're living in Sydney now. Did I am, yeah. Did you grow up in, in Scotland? Yes, I uh, well, I was born in Berwick-upon-Tweed, but basically born and bred in Scotland. And went to my education there, ministered there for 33 years. Yep. So, yeah. And am I right in that you uh, were at the same church as Sinclair Ferguson? Yes, uh, I went to St. Peter's Church in Dundee, which was uh, the church of Robert Murray McShane, which okay. I'm sure being in the Reformers bookshop, you will yeah, all know. Yeah. So that was actually the first book I wrote was Awakening a, a Life of McShane. Mm. And then uh, I was there for a number of years. And in the past, I think six years ago, uh, I asked Sinclair if he would come and be my assistant. And he said yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not bad. Eh? <laughs> it's quite funny because um, I, I remember one guy, a uh, student, coming up to me afterwards. And you see, in Scotland, we don't have any famous Christians. Sinclair is very famous in America yes. or in Australia, yes. but not in, in, in Scotland, really. And... I remember one of the students coming up to me afterwards and said, hey, Dave, you better watch yourself. The old boy is pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, he's just the best preacher in the English language. <laughs> so yeah. it was wonderful. World renowned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was great working with him. I, I just know, uh, loved him. Brilliant. Good. You know. uh, and what brings you to Sydney then? I had been in McShane's church since, uh, well, for 27 years. And I just I was very very involved in evangelism and outreach. That's how the church grew. Uh, when we went there, just a handful of people, and we grew, and there was church planting and everything else. And I, I did feel that evangelism was the need of the hour, and I had certain ideas. Um, and basically, I came to Sydney to set up a project with City Bible Forum because uh, people say, "Why did you come to Australia?" I say, "Because they asked," and basically they were the only people that asked. Mm. So I just thought. I, I've got this opportunity. I remember speaking to Oz Guinness and saying, what do I do? I, I love being pastor of this church. I love what I'm doing, but I can't continue to do both. And he said, yeah. Um, and he said, you have to do the evangelism. Mm. Uh, and he said, you know, for his point of view was he'd preferred if I'd stayed in Europe, London or Edinburgh or something and used that as a base. But um, the choice was Europe, America or Australia. For various reasons, America wouldn't work. Uh, <coughs> lots of reasons, mainly me. Um, uh, my sense of humour probably doesn't go down too well there. And Australia asked, and I just thought, do you know this? Uh, initially, the reaction was no, no way. And then we just prayed about it, and I, I won't go bore you with all the details, but a number of things, prayers were answered, and we've been here for a year. And you're enjoying it? Yeah, um, it's a great place to live. Uh, I... I was fully aware of grasses greener syndrome on the, you mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. So I've learned a lot. It's, it's actually been a tough year because, um, you know, we come to Australia, to Sydney, which is paradise apparently, and we've had drought and fire mm -hmm. and plague, mm -hmm. you know, pestilence. I mean, we've just basically Stepped had a lot. Stepped into of, the book of Joel. 
Yeah, and so I'm <laughs> I'm just waiting for the war with China in my second year, you know. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. But um, apart from that, uh, what I'm trying to do, I I think that the churches in Sydney and, and in Australia are struggling with the same issues as the mm. churches in Europe and in America, although in different contexts. And I I think uh, the churches here are not as far down the road yes, as yes. the churches in Europe. Yeah, a couple of years behind, but are he- but are heading that direction, and you know it's my hope and prayer that that won't happen. I mean, I find in terms of presenting the gospel to people, people here in general in the culture seem to me to be much more open mm. than <coughs> than in Europe. Although in Europe, I found people were very open, but the church was less prepared to communicate. Okay, uh, when you say prepared, do you mean um, didn't want to or not didn't not know how to? Okay, and I actually think I mean this sounds kind of arrogant a little bit um i don't you, the last thing you want is someone coming from outside saying oh you're not doing it right this mm, is how mm. to do it I, I i think i can easily tell you how not to do it because mm. <laughs> we've made all those mistakes but yeah it's uh, uh these are how will i put it it's the chinese curse may you live in interesting times these are mm, interesting mm. times and i personally think these are great times for the gospel but i think we're struggling to come to terms with that. That's yeah. how I put it. Oh, and that, that sounds about right. And we'll, I think we'll get into that when we yeah. start talking about our books. So, sure. Um, but before we go there, let's let's talk about one of your new books. So this is uh, a new book that you brought out last year. Yeah, last year. Um, called Ask. It's been selling very well. Um, and it's all about, uh, it's got questions and answers yeah. for teenagers predominantly. Yeah. What brought you along to, to write this book? Well, I had been asked to write something for 10 to 12-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And when I got into it, I, I ended up realizing, you know, 15 to 17-year-olds would be better. In reality, the book itself is 9 to 90-year-olds. and I, I, Yeah, very I, much so. I'm really surprised at that. And then I'm, now I'm not surprised. Yeah. Because most, of poly- most normal Christians do not want 7,000-word answers. It's very true. So these are 700-word answers. And they're not even answers. The way I did it, you see, I, I started off doing it, and then I thought, no, this is this is there's something wrong here because I think our our key problem is not we don't want a book that get, just gives you all the answers yeah, like yeah. some kind of manual, like the Bible. Well, <laughs> see, I, I, I don't even think the Bible does. No, that. no, no. I agree, it doesn't. I, and but what you want is you want I wanted young people to think biblically. Yeah. So I thought, yeah. okay, so how will we do this? So this there was a, this specific or, uh, target audience where. People who were Christians or who'd been brought up in Christian homes or were going to church or youth groups or whatever and who had questions. So each question has a Bible verse, Mm -hmm. a Bible passage, uh, a commentary, if you like, what my discussion of the question, a prayer, uh, further reading for Mm -hmm. people who want to go into it, and a question for the reader. And there's 52 of them, so that's your smart Australian, so you've worked out. That's, you know, one youth group per, <laughs> per week. And I did, and then, the, but the, the thing that makes the book work for me was I wrote to 21 different countries. Okay. And I wrote to pastors and youth leaders and so on, and I said, don't you answer this question. You're absolutely mm-hmm. forbidden from answering this question. I want you to go to your young people and ask them, to write me with questions, or they can give mm. them to you. But I said, don't filter them. And, don't, and there's only one question in there that was from a youth pastor, which I, I, I let go. because. But the rest are all absolutely genuine questions. And it's funny because they're, 
you know, every continent, 21 countries, and it was so fascinating. I mean, I got hundreds of questions. Every continent asked some things, and I, some I thought that every continent would ask, and they didn't. And So every question in there is genuine, and um, there are some questions that are not there, and people say, well, why are they not there? So, well, they, they weren't asked. It's as simple ah, as that. Right. So that's... And my publisher, Christian Focus, they took a bit of a risk because a kind of devotional, biblical, apologetic book, that's not, you know, that's, how's that going to work? Um, but they did me a huge favor. I loved the, the cover because it's, that's actually the designer's hand, met, met, and it, oh. you know, pink and blue. And initially, Christian Focus said, don't do pink and blue. And the designer said, no, no, pink and blue is really in. And I said, yeah, no, leave it pink and blue because <laughs> it's, it's all about identity anyway. Right. Uh, and every continent asked about, it's interesting, every single continent asked about transgender. Yeah. Every single one. Only the Western countries asked about suffering. Huh. Isn't that amazing? That it is, is amazing. That for me was the most amazing. Do you so, know... Yeah. It, because I've I've noticed a trend in the Western Christian blogs yeah. that there is it feels like an overweighting on stuff on suffering. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so in one sense, suffering is a big one, and, and in one sense, every country asks it. But it's very interesting because the suffering question often is, for some people, it's C.S. Lewis is the problem of pain. It's mm-hmm. a philosophical question. Yeah. It's usually yeah. an argument uh, against God, and for other people, it's C.S. Lewis. A grief observed. Yeah. It's personal pain, and that's a different question. Yeah, uh, and I I just found it fascinating. So I I actually wrote it here in Sydney. I was here on a sabbatical, which is how I ended up being asked back. Um, and I was up in Moore College, and I just sat every day. I went in mm. and uh, sat down and wrote an answer to another question. That's great, you know. And I, I we've been really I've I've been really surprised because I mean who am I? I'm nobody, and and. It's Christian Focus, you know, their advertising budget is like, what did I hear? I heard Philip Yancey was like quarter of a million dollars. Well, I think it's like $250 for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and you just think, well, but it's word of mouth. And again, the, the big uptake on this, this was a surprise for me, was teenagers, yes, but this is what I really liked. Dads reading it mm. with their teenage mm. kids. I really like that. That's so good. But the big uptake in, in for me was astonishing was older people mm. taking it because, uh, as we said earlier, people don't have time to read. That's right. You know, a lot of... And and the reality is that, um, and we'll, we'll see, uh, Vith talks about this in the book that I brought, is that there's just so much information out there that... Well, we're drowning. Yeah, we're, you, we're drowning. We're drowning. Where do you even go to find the answers yeah, to Yeah, and the internet, so. we're drowning. And Googling stuff. No, and so so the, the point of the whole book was to try and get people to think for themselves, biblically. Mm, mm. So there are some questions. Um, you know, there was a, a, a lovely question which I liked about um, North Korea. What would Jesus do I, about North Korea? I thought North that was Korea? interesting. <laughs> and that was from someone in South Korea. Huh. Now, my initial reaction was just to put Newcomb. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought, okay, that's the Trumpian answer. I better not do that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just, I, you know, but what that does, it's a genuine question for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what that does is it, it enables you to think of an overview of, well, where does the nation state come mm, from mm. and what involvement does Christ have with politics? And, and, and it just opens up 101 pl- things. But you're, you're, you're looking at things and you're saying, I mean, I, 
Um, I like cricket. Now, you see, I could see I'm an, an Aussie. This is strange. A Scotsman who likes cricket. But this Australian cricketer oh, gave me nice. cufflinks. That's a bat. And uh, and a ball. Ah. Which is just really, really cool. It is cool. Uh, I, I said, this is the first time I've worn them, actually. We feel very um, privileged. And I like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like cricket a lot. And what I, I do, I'm not really an expert in anything. I, I guess Weimar Germany, perhaps. Or... Maybe well, McShane. I could. I, I'm pretty well an expert in McShane, but I'm not really an expert in anything. But um, I, d- I used to do a lot of stuff on a program called Unbelievable, and the presenter said, "Well, we li- we we like having you on, David, a lot because you're uh, jack of all trades, and generalist." I said, yes. Yeah, I said, but master of none. Yeah. He says, "Yes, but that's like nearly all the people who listen to us." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's really, really good that you've got your experts. Yeah. Who are very, very good at things. Mm. I'm not an expert on anything, and. So, but I think about things all the time. Mm, mm. So I, f- I think that that puts me at a level where most ordinary Christians can say, hey, "Well, we go there. That's where we go." Yeah, you know. Um, and I've deliberately done that. I when I wrote the McShane book initially, I wrote it as a PhD type thing and academic book, and I looked at it and thought, "Do you know this? My, my people won't read this." Mm-hmm. So I just scrapped it and redid it instead of 10, you know, we're in a bookshop, so you know the format, B format, yeah, yeah. Um, 50,000 words, 10 chapters, 5,000 words each. I did 20 chapters, 2,500 words each. Yeah. Um, in fact, Paternoster at the time didn't know what to do with it, so they called it autobiography, and I said, I'm not McShane reincarnated. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, get your theology right. It, you know, this is history, but I, it, was, it was applied history. Yeah. And it was history for people who don't read yeah, history. That's great. And that's the same. So this is apologetics for people who don't do apologetics. Yeah, yeah. I don't and even use the term apologetics. You know, th- this is, and and that's pretty well where I try to go with everything. Yeah, good. Uh, so that's that's ask. Yeah. Um, it's it's something that could be on the bookshelf of every Christian home because yeah. it has the answers to a question that you've wondered about. Yeah, oh, and no I, doubt. I, and I tell you with that, um, ask. The reason it's ASK is ask, seek, knock. Yeah, yeah. And that's because I had this crazy idea as well. I thought, do you know, if this works, I'm going to do another one called Seek. Oh, so I'm cool. writing that just now and another one called Knock. And Seek is really for non-Christian teenagers. Mm. Nice. So um, young people who, I, I do a lot of work in schools here and it's fabulous. It's fantastic. You know, young people are so open to the gospel mm, mm. because we're so radical. We're so, you that's know, they're, they're being indoctrinated in different things. And, and we're coming along and saying, nah, question things. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, and I love that. So I'm doing Seek. So if, if anyone who's listening to this has knows anyone a teenager who who might want to throw in a question for that go for it fantastic i'm doing that and then knock is that's a different knock is more pastoral so people who are struggling yeah with good. personal issues and other yeah, things yeah. so that, that's the plan if i ever get around to it you know but we'll see sounds good so um one of the things we love to do on on the bookcast it's is sort of like we uh, get together um, and chat about some books. Mm-hmm. All we're missing is the pub and beer or whiskey, maybe. Whiskey, absolutely. Malt. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, Christian Focus, yeah. uh, they send us their, their books yeah. in whiskey boxes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. There's a lot of distilleries around. I mean, here, it's like, I tell you, I've, I've, I feel like almost blasphemy because I was down in Tasmania and they said, you've got to try Tasmanian whiskey. And I said, Australian whiskey? You're joking me. No way. And it's probably the best I'd ever tasted. And I felt such a traitor. And then I was speaking to a whole bunch of lawyers and they'd heard I like whiskey. So they sent me a bottle of Japanese whiskey and I said, no way, no way. That's a step too far. And it's now the best whiskey I've ever tasted. I I really feel backslidden as a Scotsman. Uh, Well, well, hopefully this doesn't get out to Scotland. (laughs) 
So um, we brought some books along that that talk about uh, culture and uh, Christianity and what's happened in the last few hundred years in terms of culture. Why, why don't you tell us about the book that you brought? Okay, it's um, hot off the press because mm. it's that hideous strength which has been around for a, a, a wee while by Melvin Tinker. But this is the expanded version. I know Melvin, and when he brought the book out, I, I, I did say to him, my only disappointment with the book was it was too short. Mm. It's very punchy, the original. It, ra- it raises huge issues, and it's a deeper look at how the West was lost. Um, it's explaining the culture, the, the cancer of cultural Marxism. Now, I, I need to say something about that because immediately there are people go. oh, right-wing diatribe. I'm saying, no, no. You, you've really, really got to grasp. People say, well, cultural Marxism doesn't exist. Well, I don't care what you call it, but mm. it exists. And it's the it's the thing out of which queer theory comes. It's the thing out of which cancel culture mm. comes. It's, it is the thing which is, it's the philosophy which is predominant in, in, in for a bizarre reason, which I still haven't entirely worked out. It is predominant in the elites of the academy. When you say the, the academy, you, you mean like the academia, in, in, yeah, yeah, universities, universities, yeah, particularly, yeah, um, the elites of the academy, corporations, yeah, judiciary, and you're thinking, that's everywhere. You know, how, how do you get? Well, it's it's like normal people haven't gone. This is not something a revolution that's come from the bottom. Yeah, this is fr- entirely from the top. Yeah, this is from your your Eton's and your Harrow's and your Sydney University and your Yale and your Harvard's. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I love um, Doug. Um, Doug Murray has a book called The Madness of Crowds. Well, I, I would probably have called it The Madness of the Elites, but it's there. That hideous strength, of course, is a reference to um, the last one of the C.S. Lewis Space uh, Trilogy. Space Trilogy, which is absolutely brilliant. I think Lewis foresaw this, hmm. and I think his description in that hideous strength. So, so, so I I got halfway through this, yeah. and I was freaking out. Because you, you're exactly right. You, you you can see whatever you want to call it that this ideology has infiltrated all of these culture building institutions. Yes, it's predominant. And and you go, well, what can you do? Well, it the the interesting thing, even since Melvin wrote the first one, the phrase I would use is the revolution eats itself. Mm. So when you live in a, I mean, me to to see Germaine Greer being no platformed. It's just hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You know, the revolution eats itself. It's, and and that, that's actually madness. Gene Veith, in my book that I wrote along post-Christian, yeah. he starts off in his introduction saying that. Yeah. So J.K. Rowling, for example, things like that. So for me, that hideous strength, the, the genius of what Melvin has done is he's explained for ordinary people what's going on in the kind of the, the cultural elites. Now, there's a lot of pushback against this. So here in Australia, I think there was a pushback at the last election. Against what, sir? Against this kind of cultural Marxism. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think um, yeah, uh, the only place that cultural Marxism really shines out here is in the Sydney Morning Herald and in Newtown, which for those of people who are listening to this who don't know Sydney, it's kind of the, you know, Hipsville place, you know. That's it. Um, I used to go into a left-wing Marxist bookshop there and ask for a copy of the Daily Telegraph <laughs> just, <laughs> just to wind them up. <laughs> they didn't even stock the Sydney Morning Herald. They were so left-wing. Oh, right. you know? But... Um, it, it's if you go out west, if you go basically, if you go to most normal Australians, they yeah, just go, yeah. oh, "This is loopy." That's of course right. It, it is loopy, yeah. and 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 
but we need to understand where it's coming from, and that's why I think there's, there's the beauty of this. I also think that what Melvin does as well, which is, is, is exactly right, he's taking the hideous strength from C.S. Lewis and the story of the Tower of Babel. Mm. And I have no doubt at all what we're building is a Tower of Babel, and it will implode. Now, where my concern as a Christian is, is that it could implode, and as a result, you could end up with some kind of fashion. You're, you're, t- you're talking about the implosion of South Vietnam or the implosion mm-hmm. of Weimar Germany. And what came out Something of that comes was, and fills the void. or the implosion of, yeah. uh, of Tsarist Russia. So you get extreme left or extreme right, and there's ver- virtually no difference, in yeah. my view. Uh, you get these extreme political solutions. I think that is possible. Um, or, I, I think, on the other hand, a Christian can look and say, this is Romans 1. Mm-hmm. God gave them over. Mm. So it's what I call Burger King philosophy, which is, you know, Burger King used to have this advert, you can have your burger your way, you do it your way. Yeah. And I think Romans 1 teaches us the absolute worst punishment that God can give us is not to smite us, mm. but is to say, go your own way. Yeah, that's, that's, right. Way. that's right. And, and I think the, that hideous strength uh, it, it demonstrates how mad human beings will get. Now, I, I do a podcast uh, every single week called Quantum, and each week I kind of say, right, it's not going to, you know... You, you're not going to get crazier than this. And every Next week, week. <laughs> every week we come up with something even more crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, like, you, like I try to explain to my parents uh, about how there's 99 different genders, and they look and say, where, "Where are you from? Exactly. You know, what planet are you from?" Yeah. And their reaction is not wrong. You know, that's uh, so. C.S. Lewis in in the Hideous Strength has the elites again, and it's interesting because he goes for the university and the scientists and mm-hmm. so on. And he has the elites trying to deconstruct man, reconstruct man, but deconstruct, reconstruct. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what's what's happening now, and I think our um, our elites know how to deconstruct, but they've got nothing to put in its place. They can knock down statues; they don't know what to replace it with. Yeah, yeah. Everything they've ever tried has failed. So, Tinker is brilliant in pointing that out. There are certain dangers in this book because I think that if you are a pastor and he does want pastors to read it. There's a danger you'll end up preaching it. Yes. And you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Preach the word. Yeah. You know, but you've got to understand the context into which you're preaching the word. Yeah. Uh, and and we'll, we'll get there, yeah. I reckon. Uh, so the, the book I brought along is Post-Christian, uh, which is a new one this year by Jean Edward Veith, um, who is a cultural commentator who's been around for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote a book called Postmodern Times quite some time ago. And in this book, he goes through four different sort of sectors, if you like, of, of society, of culture, and shows the shifts that have taken place. So he looks at reality, sexuality, um, religion, and and society in general. Okay. Um, so how, how society I get that book. <laughs> I mean, I like Jim well, Veach anyway, so yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's books right up my street, you know. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll get you one, don't worry. <laughs> but I read both of these simultaneously, and it left me almost sort of swimming in this cloud of um, confusion in some sense. Because if you look at, like, Melvin Tink is looking at it from cultural Marxism and shows you the very clear movement that's happened there. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if you look at it from science perspective and Mm -hmm. rationalisation and Mm -hmm. um, if you look at it from a philosophical perspective and the impact of thinkers throughout the ages and Mm -hmm. um, ideas, like I think he talks about Descartes and how he... Mm-hmm. sort of reduced rationality to your own consciousness and then follows the impact that that has mm-hmm. throughout the next 
um, decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like there's a thousand things going on at once, mm-hmm. um, and it can't really be reduced to one thing. Um, do you have any thoughts around around that? Oh, I I would reduce it to one thing, um, <laughs> and I would reduce it to spiritual warfare. Okay. I think that um, if you read the Russians like Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, and others, um, they talk about, uh, and also I, I've just been reading, oh, hell, I've forgotten his name, uh, a Dutch author from a, the 19th century who spoke about the revolution, uh, and he was speaking about the Napoleonic Revolution. But I think what we would now call progressives, it's they're, they're following... C.S. Lewis is that hideous strength. Um, they are attempting to remake humanity in our own image, to remake humanity mm, without right. God, to, yeah. to make human beings as God. So um, Harari, whose his books are just phenomenally popular, but they are so depressing. Mm. And I think what, what what's going on is, you're, you're right, I think it's mass confusion to which people try and provide simplistic answers and n- all they do is create more confusion. And I th- just think it's, 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 it's a spiritual warfare in the sense that it's humanity rejecting God. And yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like, you know, follow the maker's instructions. I fill my petrol car with diesel. It's going to go Doesn't wrong. Work. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the same thing. So it's, it's just all different manifestations. Yeah. So I wouldn't take cultural Marxism as a catch-all for everything. Yep. Because you can add into that materialism. Yep. You can add into that... Um, Rationalistic. Well, uh, yeah, kind of wrong kind of rationalism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, there's almost a sense in which you can take everything. Even cultural Marxism, you can say there are things within that which reflect some degree of truth. Mm-hmm. So, the, for example... The best, the best lies have a bit of truth in them. Well, right? well it's, uh, postmodernism has a legitimate critique of modernism, and modernism had a legitimate critique of c- traditionalism. Yeah. And I think we're now in a post-postmodern age, uh, which for me... How many posts can you have? <laughs> well, how many posts can you have? For me, this is where I think, rather than despair as a Christian, I just see this as a golden opportunity. Yeah. Because in the postmodern marketplace of ideas, we've got the best product. Now, I don't like talking about the gospel like that. But nonetheless, that is the case. Yeah, and actually, uh, Gene, Gene Veith brings that out because he shows how when through these shifts, what people have been looking for is something. Yeah. In, in, in looking at reality, they want to find something true about reality. In looking at sexuality, they wanna, they're seeking after love and fulfillment or something to that effect. And he shows you brilliantly, I think, how the gospel answers those questions and those yeah. desires that people are seeking after. And it's, at the end of the day, it's the only sort of true... Um, belief system worldview that will that will address all of the concerns that people are seeking after but there is there's a danger with i think both these books now i haven't read that one but i i, I know where gene v yeah, is yeah. coming from and i think the danger is not so much within the books themselves but how we read them yeah so i think and how we react to them so i think that a lot of christians will read stuff like this and will go oh, we've got to fight this mm. and me i read it and go yeah that's what I've thought all along. This is so, for me, they were very reassuring because they re- just, I mean, about five years ago, I was talking about transgenderism and people thought I was completely mad. Huh. And I would have loved to have been proven wrong. Uh, but in this particular instance, I've been, I've been wrong about many things, but in this particular instance, I was, it was absolutely correct. I saw what was happening. I saw what was going on. Because it was, an, in, it, it was an inevitable product of queer theory, yeah. Yeah. which uh, 
is, is hugely significant. But I think that the danger is we'll go, okay, we've got to fight to save Christendom. My view is Christendom's gone. Um, and I think it's a bad thing, by the way, that Christendom's gone. I think Christendom is not a bad thing for the church. So when you, mean Christen, when you say Christendom, what do you mean by that? I mean societies which are governed by Christian principles. Okay. Uh, where Christianity is the fundamental ethos. Yep. And I'm saying that's gone, that's being destroyed. But just like Sweden, people don't know what to replace it with. Yeah. And we're going to end up with absolute chaos. We're probably going to end up with... Um, uh, we'll, we'll, hold, we'll hold you to this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, some form of Chinese corporate Marxism right. uh, dominating most of the world, I suspect. I don't think Islamism will. I think that, I think the big dangers facing Western culture are Islamism, are uh, what I would call progressivism, which you can tie into the, the, to, um, the cultural Marxism. I think the, the corporate Chinese um, communism is, is profoundly dangerous, way more dangerous than most people realize. Although, interestingly enough, that's now beginning to surface. I also think um, that there is an enormous danger in terms of uh, just materialism, greed. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, th- that's ingrained into Western culture now and I think has become the predominant philosophy, predominant way of thinking. And just not just materialism, but hedonism. So I think there are all these dangers, and you know these two books, I suspect, reflect on them. But our answer to those is not to go the complete opposite. Yeah. Mm. So the opposite, for example, to um, cultural Marxism is not just to, to deconstruct the deconstructors, but it's to proclaim Christ. Yeah. And it's so the identity thing. So I've done outreach events which were on same-sex marriage, and people say, "Well, that's how can you do an outreach event on same-sex marriage? You do a political event on same-sex marriage." No, that was a mistake, by the way. That's the mistake you made here hmm. in Sydney. Yeah, uh, made it a political issue. You made it a political issue. I mean, it was a political issue, and yes, I don't think the church was wrong to speak into it. Yeah, but it was the wrong battle. We, we've got to we've got to pick our battles, but most of all, we've got to proclaim Christ. And that, for me, is the absolute key. As the society gets more confused, we need to be more clear yeah. on who Jesus is. Yeah. And and I think that part of that might be that... Because like, if you look at, at decent evangelical churches, mm-hmm. across the board, generally speaking, the gospel is preached, right? Yes. So is that sufficient? What, what are we missing out of that? Okay, well, or you could take the Philip Jensen route who, when he was asked by Dominic Steele recently uh, about why in Sydney Anglicanism there were so few people stepping up to be senior pastors, yeah, rectors, yeah. Um, his response was a fairly shocking one, and we're not preaching the gospel. Yeah, so now explain that out, because I've yeah. had this thought for a little while, so I'm yeah. keen to hear your, your ideas. Well, I think basically he was right, because he wasn't saying people are not preaching the atonement or Jesus is the son of God and so on. But he's saying, where's the vision? Yeah. And if people are not getting the vision yeah, and, you know, they're Christians, are we preaching the gospel? And I think he has and a serious point because I think what we've done is we water down the gospel. So here, for example, let's, let's just... I, I call it a light gospel. Well, you do gospel light or, or there's a little bit of fearful or... I mean, if we're biblical Christians... And here we are in the Reformers' bookshop, and of all people, the Reformers knew the sinfulness of the human heart. Yeah. And we constantly have to deal with that. And my fear a little bit is that, now this would be a little bit more controversial, um, I think 
that the church in the West has become quite Americanized. And the American church, I mean, J.I. Packer, who was recently gone, great man, was once rumored to have said, I think he did say, that the church in America was 3,000 miles wide and one inch deep. Mm. I think that's slightly unfair. There are many, many fine American churches, and we owe a lot to you know American Christians. It's true, it's true. Uh, yeah. You know, I can I can think of lots. I mean, I personally owe a lot to someone like Tim, Tim Keller or R.C. Sproul or people yep. like that. However, and you know, a cultural commentator like Al Mohler is absolutely superb. However, overall, I think the Americanization of the church in the West has been quite harmful. So, so when you say that, are you talking about having a lighter doctrinal? I, I, yes, I think it's more uh, money based. Yep. I think I think all Num- churches numbers money yeah all churches reflect the culture they are in so the you know in Scotland we're very tribalistic <laughs> right you know but we all do to some extent and I think we we have to fight against that by continually bringing ourselves to the mirror of God's word mm. and of course there are churches in America that do that but I'm talking about general culture and so um, there's that in in, in American cultures that very can do attitude we can do it you know. So I always used to say culturally, you'd ask a Scottish preacher, you know, if it was if it was on the day of Pentecost, if he'd been preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he'd ask, "How'd you get on?" They would say, "Oh well, all right, plodding on, you know, three thousand people converted, uh, but trouble's coming, you know." That's, <laughs> that's kinda, or on the other hand, you ask an American, you know, just how'd you get on? Oh, awesome, man, yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. great. It was just you know, and 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 you know, these are cultural things in and of themselves. They're not wrong, but I think what happens is. Um, I think what's particularly happened is a focus on uh, programs, yeah. methodologies, and money. Yeah. And I think th- those are really harmful. Yeah. And I see that happening here to some degree. Mm. I also, if you've got that, then you get a lot of rivalry. So you're the reformer's bookshop. I, as far as I know, you're pretty well a monopoly here in Sydney. But um, l- let's say there were three other bookshops. The danger is that you end up working hardest... Yeah. To go against your imme- the people who are closest to you because they're yeah, your yeah, immediate com- com- yeah, competitors w- in the market, yeah. and I think that's the same with churches. Churches will say we're going to try and you know reach out into the community. In reality, what they end up doing is competing for people who are already going to church, and I think we need to just step back and you know one of the things of the whole COVID thing is maybe I haven't seen much of this, but maybe it will cause not just the society but the church to repent. I hope so. You know, I hope so. Yeah. But yeah. We'll see. So then, um, if if part of the problem I- is that we are we are preaching, or some churches are good churches are preaching a true gospel, but um, maybe a light gospel, how then do do these books help, uh, say, pastors and and lay people in building out a, a Christianity that's bigger than than just the atonement, if I can say that? I think the the key way they help is they're not reactive. So what we end up doing is, if we're at a fairly shallow level, we'll keep reacting to things. I think also, if you get a better understanding of the culture, you're not surprised. Who's going to be surprised at the transgender stuff? Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if, you, if you knew queer theory, you wouldn't be surprised at it. And uh, by the way, I'm fairly certain that um, polygamy, pedophilia, other stuff it's already is, is happening. coming down the road. Yeah. So I, I think po- yeah. Uh, polyamory just, yeah, just got passed there, in, yeah. in a state in the US recently. Yeah. Yeah, so all, all that kind of stuff. So it helps you understand that. I think it would cause you to despair, actually, until you look 
to the gospel. So for me, I would read something like that hideous strength, and I would read John Flavel at mm. the same time. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like my wife's currently reading through the book of Judges, and I said, okay, yeah, but maybe you should do the Gospel of Luke as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, at the same time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's. Uh, so so I guess the the call um from what I'm hearing from you is to preach not just um the essential truths of the gospel but the whole gospel the way that the way that the gospel changes life and changes how we view the world yeah it's it's not just to preach i think it's to preach christ i think uh, i i think a weak area for much of the church is ecclesiology so what is the church we really need to think that again yeah um and i think maybe even the covid stuff is making us think that so what is the church how do we communicate christ because my argument would be that the church is both the main reason people don't believe and the main reason people do believe. So we have to look at the church. We have to look at um, how we live as Christians. Yeah. You know, um, we, we have to make sure that our, I, I, our, that our preaching is, is excellent, but our practice has to be uh, excellent as well. You know, there's something extremely attractive about Christian community. Mm, mm. So my, my philosophy in St. Peter's was very simple. Preach the word and see what happens. Yeah. I think the trouble is that we've now got a situation where a lot of churches are saying, we're good, yeah, absolutely, preach the word. Of course we're going to preach the word. But they've determined what should happen. And I'm saying, huh, yeah. no, no, you can't, so. we can't do that. We can't determine what's going We can't say we're going to have 20 new people or yeah. we're going to reach this group or we're going to target that group. X number of churches, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who knows yeah. What, who God will send to you? I mean, that, that for me, one of the great advantages of being a Calvinist and an evangelist is I just, I leave the results to God. Yeah. You know, I, I, I accept Lord the Lord has many people yet in this city. Yeah. Know, and his word won't return to him empty and all that. Yeah. And and so so Melvin sort of talks about three approaches to um mm-hmm. to understanding that this is what's happening in culture. Mm-hmm. He says one is to bury your head in the sand mm-hmm. and sort of say, Well, we're gonna preach the gospel, we're gonna keep keep being a church, but we're just gonna ignore everything that's happening outside, mm-hmm. um, and that'll keep us safe. Uh, the other approach he says is um, you take on cultural um, influences and you, you adapt in that way. Um, but the third is he says you preach Christ and you refute the culture at, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was really interesting about that was the first option, which sounds good, um, sort of preach the gospel, you know, it's not a bad thing. But um, he says what will happen is your people will be influenced by the culture uh, in in your church, yeah, and you, because you're not giving them anything. They, that they swim in the sea of the culture, and yeah. therefore they're going to be infected by it. Yeah. And the trouble is with that is if you just adopt that philosophy, you've then accepted the secularist view, and the secularist view is this: you can be as religious as you want, but it's to be like that's a line right. dancing yeah. society, yeah. or a trekkie club, or you know, a knitting club. So if you're into knitting, that's fine. But I'm sorry, but Christ is not knitting. No, so, so much more he influences all yeah. of all of life. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I think it's I think it's wrong to do that. I think going along with the tide, of course, is is wrong. Obviously, yeah. It's, it's, to me, it's wrong. I think just standing against the tide, by the way, I use an, uh, an Australian analogy for this. We're not King Canute standing there trying to stop the incoming tide, but we should surf the wave. Mm. And, and, you know, we should use whatever cultural phenomenon there is, not to endorse it or whatever, but to proclaim Christ. And Christ will stand up. I don't think the Apostle Paul, I cannot envisage him ever, or John or Peter or Luke or Mary and Martha marching down the streets of Athens or Ephesus or Jerusalem or Rome, 
with banners saying down with that sort of thing, you know. <laughs> I just, it, it, no, I, I don't see that. But I do see that what they did turned the world upside down. And I think that's, these two books are telling us this is where we're at. And it's helping us to communicate the gospel into where we are at, not where we'd like to be. And I think that in and of itself changes things. Light changes darkness. Absolutely. So that's what we've got to do. We've got to preach the light. Well, uh, I think we've gone Far enough, way yeah. over our time. We but uh, <laughs> but they, we could keep going. And uh, I hope people do. I hope people pick up these books and um, learn to preach the gospel in the, in the ocean that we swim in. Thanks for joining us, Dave. No problem. My privilege. No worries, mate. <laughs> Good on ya. Good on ya. See you in the Avo. Let's chuck a Yui.